University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. Please listen to the reading of God's Word, our sacred story, found in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of water, the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more light. They need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Let us pray. God of grace, of mercy, of love and justice, We come here again to your throne of grace, thankful that you have called us, thankful that you empower us with your words, with your love, with your spirit. We ask you to bless our time together this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Amen. Okay, I'm going to try to see if I start this right. Is this working? Ah, we got it. Technology is wonderful when it works, right? Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this Memorial Day Sunday. And uh, there was a great evacuation yesterday in Baton Rouge. My sister was caught up in it, and I think they're, they're all gone. But uh, you guys are the true remnant. You're the chosen, the elect. You're here this morning. So it's good to be, good to be with you. I, I bring you greetings from Shreveport. And uh, this is my happy place right here. One of them, my holy places in my backyard. And I put that up there because there's the Easter lilies there in the background. They just came out this week. And uh, we're still in the Easter season. Uh, this is where I go most mornings uh, when I get out of bed on time. And... Uh, have a little time there and uh, with my little pond. And there's a little um, bright red lily pad that just came out too last, uh, last uh, week. And uh, uh, the frogs, bullfrogs, uh, uh, have a real chorus at night when it's hot and uh, keep, us, keep us going. So uh, I also bring you greetings from our little uh, wonderfully diverse uh, church for the Highlands in Shreveport. Um, it, but it feels like a bit of a homecoming here to be with you today. Uh, I've made this pilgrimage to your doors many times in the last 15 years or so in my various roles with CBF and 
most recently as a coordinator, part-time, and I've gotten to know your pastors and staff through the years. I, I have this mental picture of Shannon Rutherford whipping up a meal of spaghetti, French bread, and salad in the kitchen for one of our meetings, and it appeared she was all by herself. Surely she had some help, but I didn't see anybody but her doing it, and that would be just like her. Uh, she had a knack for getting things done and such a generous spirit and creative mind. And of course, I've worked with Mike Masser uh, until his recent retirement and experienced his big personality and his graciousness toward me personally. In three weeks, I will be with Griff Martin uh, again at the Southwest Baptist Youth Camp, and where, where he last year was the camp pastor, and I got to experience firsthand uh, his wonderful gifts of preaching. Um, and I, of course, know uh, uh, George Hale and uh, your great uh, leaders through the years. I even have had a chance to get to know Bruce Evans, your pastor from way back, uh, when I interviewed him a few years on the, ago on the phone about an article I wrote several years ago about the Baton, right, Baton Rouge civil rights struggles in 1961 when he was one of a group of pastors that signed this paper. This, uh, this statement of love and reconciliation about integration and published it in the paper and love and reconciliation didn't come right away, I will assure you. But I did get to know him and what a character he was and I think still is. I understand he's still going. I believe he's 87 now. So Currently, I'm continually in debt to Ron and Patsy Parrott who uh, take me in as a free boarder every time I come to uh, Baton Rouge just about and fill me up with Greek food or Lebanese food or steaks on the grill, and uh, it is a wonder to be with them and uh, be part of their back porch. They've got a beautiful, wonderful back porch back there. Um, the last time they were here, they scooted off to a meeting and left me with that back porch and uh, a cup of coffee. And so I was back there witnessing bluebirds and a, a chirping cardinal. I didn't know cardinals made so much noise. Um, there was a goose around there flapping its wings and actually slamming its wings on the water like a, like a board. I had never heard that. And then there were those six awkward adolescent goslings, uh, each of them having a bad hair day, uh, but just wallowing on right behind her. Uh, they had some great porch rules, as a matter of fact. And um, while I was there, I was uh, sitting on my back their back porch, uh, drinking my coffee and reading my Richard Rohr meditation and just having a Zen moment, possibly caffeine-induced, but it was nevertheless very, very glorious. And your pastor is taking some needed vacation. Um, I told him to get some rest. He didn't need me to tell him that, but he did say he slept till 8.45 yesterday, so that's pretty, pretty good for Andy. I know that Andy it is a ball of energy. I've loved getting to know him a little bit now these days. He's in a, a peer learning group for pastors that I'm part of with uh, he and Leonard and uh, Broadmoor and Elizabeth down at St. Charles in New Orleans. Uh, I do have one problem with Andy, though. I can't keep up with him. How do you keep up with him? Now, the wheels are always turning. He's got a new thought, a mile a minute. Uh, it's exhausting, uh, but also exhilarating. So I'm so grateful that he's here and so grateful that you all are benefiting from his leadership. He does these podcasts. Hopefully you guys have discovered these uh, CBF podcast interviews he does. I was listening on the way down the last time here to the, 
the one he did with Rachel Held Evans, a gifted Christian writer who he recently lost, and it felt like I was sitting in the living room with two friends sharing their journey. So very, very warm, very, very personable. So I'm glad he's taken that time, and uh, he invited me to come preach, which was a real act of faith. Uh, or desperation, or, or both. Well, let's go with faith. It was an act of faith. So uh, it is a gift for me to be here and be part of this holy space, uh, this place that God has called you to. And, uh, and, and there are many holy, holy places, holy spaces, if we just take the time to uh, be quiet and listen and, and look for them, not only on the lovely back porch of a friend, but in everyday mundane moments, even in worship, so uh, to be still and know that I am God, the psalmist said, he had something there. As one uh, another translation goes, shut up and pay attention to the holy. Well, that's actually a bootleg translator. That's the Kelly unauthorized version, but it is hard for us to, to stop and listen. So I want us to take a minute before we get into our text to... Uh, maybe settle and even unsettle you a little bit with, uh, with a song. Um, this is uh, actually an Argentinian. It's from Argentina. And um, I love it. It's a beautiful, simple hymn that invites us to center on the grounding we find in the holiness of God. And it may be a little bit unsettling because it's likely new to many of you, and it may not be your native tongue. But we're going to do it, and uh, I'll sing it, for through you. sing it through for you once, and uh, then we'll have a rehearsal verse and just jump in uh, when you're ready. Santo, 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 mi corazón te adora, Corazón te sabe de ser Santiel, Señor. Are you ready? Santo, 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 mi corazón te adora, mi corazón te sabe de ser. Santo Señor. Now this little hymn lends itself to harmony, so if you're so inclined, go ahead and do that, this verse. Santo, 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 mi corazón te adora, mi corazón te sabe Okay, English this last time. Holy, 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 my heart, my heart adores you. My heart is glad to say the words, you are holy, Thank you. That was that was lovely. While I was a 
LSU graduate student of School of Social Work here. Um, and uh, Patsy let the word out, I'm not a preacher. You might have already figured that out, you more uh, astute parishioners. Um, but I did attend uh, Southern Seminary. I've also, uh, my father's a preacher, and I've also recently stayed at a Holiday Inn Express. So you're, you're in good hands this morning. Uh, I did manage to uh, marry a smart woman who did graduate from seminary, so she taught me everything that I know. So while I was in school at LSU and uh, working at a psych hospital in, in New Orleans, I befriended this uh, lapsed Catholic who uh, loved to uh, get me going, and it uh, wasn't very hard to do that. He would say something and get me going, and, and then he would kind of look at me with a twinkle and say, oh, you're just mad because the Pope is infallible. But uh, he uh, had, a, had a great time. He talked to me about uh, being what it's like to be a pre-Vatican II Catholic. And uh, when uh, he was a kid, uh, Vatican II happened, and then they changed the Mass on him. Uh, he had always had it in Latin, and now it's in English. It was startling. Um, in his experience, the liturgy was supposed to be in Latin, and you weren't supposed to be able to understand it. And now he could understand the words, but for him, the mystery was gone. It was, it was never the same. It, it might have been a little unsettling to you to be singing in Spanish this morning. I don't think that's the first language of, of most of you. And you probably had a sense of relief when we finally got to that last verse in English. But I encourage you to embrace the unsettling in our lives, in our worship. Let the mystery in. There's just so much we don't know. We might as well admit it. Might as well embrace it. Uh, and this journey of faith is mysterious. It, it might be a good thing to be a little off balance when we approach the throne of grace. My Aunt Ruby was the last of uh, 12 siblings and cousins who grew up. She was also the best storyteller in the family. So the year before she died, I went every week to visit her and had my little camera and my recording, and I would record her telling stories, kind of like a Tuesdays with Maury experience for those of you who read that book a while back. And uh, she never made it past the fifth grade, but she remained curious, read a lot, and she had a healthy skepticism for, about how much we really can know in this journey. Kyle, if God was small enough for us to fully understand, he wouldn't be big enough to be God. You're right, Aunt Ruby. So embrace the mystery, the many ways of knowing and do it with humility. Embrace the settling and the unsettling. It might be a good thing to be a little off balance and recognize we don't have God in our back pocket. Now, knowing the words and, and hearing the truth is important. We are to love God with our minds and exercise our brains to God's glory. As uh, Ron Parrott says, it is good to have a coherent Christianity, as he's written. And as he told me about this book, I, I thought of the Hippocratic Oath, which says, first of all, do no harm, right? And uh, so it's good that our theologizing and teaching be as sound as it can be, and that we not do harm to others. And it, uh, the unteaching that sometimes we need to do can be painful. And I applaud, applaud that effort. Uh, to get our thinking, our thinking right about God. But I also submit that truth is not experienced only by the intellect. 
And, and knowing with our minds is but one way of knowing. Many of us are a little too heady in our faith and could use a little stretching to include the emotions, the arts, the music, and even the out-of-tune variety when it comes for the heart, it's, 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 it's honorable. And, in, and, in, and especially an important act of worship is service. I mentioned Brother Lawrence this morning, and, and he was a, a 17th century Carmelite friar who, who learned to praise God washing the dishes and cleaning the kitchen. And that was, his, that was his service, even in the most mundane task. And if we can see our service to others as an act of worship, what it really is, then what a way for us to experience God in a whole new way. Now, now this is where I should be doing my impersonation of Tevia, uh, that Jewish dairyman in Imperial Russia, maybe a break into a round of if I were a rich man, uh, but I would need a deeper voice, a bigger beard, maybe 20 more pounds and not take a bath for a week to really pull it off. Uh, two musicals which, which do really feed my soul still is uh, one is Les Mis, which is all about ex extravagance of grace and the pursuit of justice. And, and this one, uh, The Fiddler on the Roof, where the conversations with God are funny, but real, poignant, heartfelt, and, and even heartbreaking. Why would you risk playing your tune on such a precarious perch? Just as Tevye's turn-of-the-century Russia was changing, our world continues to change. Do we dare play our tune in these days, unsteady as the times are? For the church, Christianity is moving south. Not deep south as here, but, but the real south, the southern hemisphere. That's where the growth and the energy in Christianity and the church is found today the so-called undeveloped or undeveloped, underdeveloped world. As you probably know, the fastest growing religious designation in the United States is the nuns. Not the nuns as the women religious, and like Sister Bernie in Lake Providence, who's one of our great partners, that Irish nun of indefatigable energy. No, the nuns as in no religion, none whatsoever. Two summers ago, I attended the Baptist Peace Fellowship annual meeting in San Felipe del Progreso, Mexico, about an hour and a half from Mexico City. It's in a 500-year-old old haciendo, 9,000 feet up in the mountains. It had been in ruins, and now they're making it into a, a Christian encampment. The accommodations were sparse, even almost primitive, but, but beautiful. And it's uh, love of nature and art and all the flowers and, and, and all of the, the hospitality that we experienced there. My family experienced a conference in a second language or another language, Spanish, which we do not know. And even though there were translators, there was a lot that was mysterious, I think, because of that. But what captured us was the hospitality and the unbridled joy in their singing and their worship. These were Baptists from all over Latin America, folks who knew poverty and, 
Many had seen violence and, in some cases, brutal oppression. And they were not simply passive, powerless observers, but folks actively involved in, in pushing for justice through the power of the gospel in their home communities. And the thing that was palpable, though, overwhelming even, was their joy and their bond as a community. So the situation is settling and undangerous for them, for them but, but they're joyful and they're growing. In the Western world, in our world, churches are shrinking, even closing many times. And I wonder about that, and many people wonder about that, and, and there are lots of reasons perhaps, but I'm reminded of Proverbs 38, where he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Maybe we have too much. Maybe um, you don't have to be get real. You don't have to be involved in relationships that are messy because, um, you know, church is a place where you go to be entertained. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a consumer church that I think is being changed. And I do think God is behind that. Church is going to be different. We all know that. Um, but, you know... Um, we turn to God when our foundations are shaking, only to learn that it is God who is shaking them. So says Charles West, and I think that may be what's happening in church for us. It can be a little scary, it can be a little unshaky, uh, it can feel like a fiddler on the roof, but I do think God is with us, God will not desert us. It will be different, uh, but some of the things we need to let, let go of, some of our church culture uh, was not hit, handed down with the Ten Commandments. Uh, it will be a journey that can be joyful at the same time. Our Old Testament text today was uh, Psalm 67, which was read early, and what a, what a great word for us about God being gracious, God causing His face to shine on us, and judging the people and guiding the nations with equity. Our, our New Testament text there were several, and I was drawn to Revelation, the text there. And, and in many ways, um, well, there's our people singing and having a good time in, uh, in Mexico. They were so joyful. Uh, but here we are in, uh, in the book of Revelation. It's a, it's a crazy book for a crazy time. It's in code. In, in times of fear and persecution, persecution, you can't just outright say what you're going to say. You've got to put it in code. And so there's all these disguises and all these symbols and there's dragons and fiery pits and strange beasts and out-of-control horses and mass destruction. No, no wonder Martin Luther didn't want to have anything to do with Revelation. He thought it needed to be out of the Bible entirely. And, and he complained that this book makes threats about not disobeying his, these words, but no one can even figure out these words that we're not supposed to disobey. So he just assumed just not deal with it. Well, it's ripe for fear mongers, right? It's ripe for people uh, who can write some, some fiction about it and some quacks who can scare you. Uh, those TV evangelists that uh, Will Campbell used to call the soul molesters, they can uh, scare you uh, out of your mind and out of your cash. But uh, there's more than that to Revelation. It's a beautiful book as well with words of assurance that 
the end of death and pain. Uh, God is the Alpha and Omega. It's, it's, it's a victory that we can be sure of. Love does win. Those tears will be wiped away. And for all the boisterous, destructive posturing that happens in Revelation, there really is no prolonged battle. Uh, there's not any doubt about who's going to win. After the ranting and the menace, God just says, it's over, and it's over. Settling, but still a little un unsettling. Verse 1 of 22, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Now, water running through the middle of the street may not be a comforting image for the people of Baton Rouge. Y'all know a little bit about that. It is a powerful image. Water means life, yet it can be so destructive. Here it is pure, bright as crystal, peaceful, flowing from God, bringing new life. It's great power harnessed for resurrection and restoration. It comes from the throne of God, all-powerful, but also the Lamb, all-vulnerable. That is the message of hope that Revelation brings us. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruits, says verse 2, producing fruit each month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nation. Eden has returned. The tree of life is now available to all, all of us. There is no forbidden fruit here, but abundance year-round and continually. And these leaves, these leaves are medicinal. They're for the healing of the nation. It's not just for me and my private world, my clan, my group. Our relationship with God, as Jim Wallace tells us, it's personal, but it's not private. We are part of a community. It extends to the whole church and beyond. God is mending the world. Those leaves are for the healing of the nations. Reconciliation and wholeness will burst forth out of oppression. Verse 3 and 4, Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Now, we can get confused in Revelation. It's a bit unsettling because partly we're not always sure about these symbols and, and who the good guys are and the bad guys are. You've got to kind of really stay with it. Stamping on the forehead, didn't the beast just do that a few chapters ago in 666? Well, um, I understand that uh, Ronald Reagan made an appearance here about a week ago, uh, inviting you to a special uh, musical event. Um, I also learned in preparing for this sermon that when, when, he, when he and Nancy retired and moved to Bel Air, um, they had a problem with their, with their new home in Bel Air. The little problem was um, the address had to be converted. Uh, their house number was 666. And it soon became 668. So um, 
there you have before you, uh, let's see if I can, uh, if I can pronounce this, uh, hex, hexa, I can't pronounce it. It's, uh, it is the phobia of 666. Now you know. But in, uh, in this verse, in the new city of God, nothing is cursed because God is there and we will see his face. 666 becomes the image of God, as Eugene Peterson says in that verse, paraphrases, our foreheads mirroring God, just like God. And finally, verse 5, there will be no more night they need no light or lamp of sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Night was a frightful time in the ancient Mideast. Lamps were limited and enemies could come. Thieves were active, gates were closed. In the new Jerusalem, all is light. Not only death, but darkness is overcome. The hidden corners in our very selves are liberated by the light. Our, our Quaker friends have a beautiful phrase I find most useful. They are, they are active listeners for God in their worship. My, my oldest daughter, when she was in college, was going to a Quaker church, and we visited with her one Sunday on Parents' Weekend, and the whole hour, the Spirit didn't move for anybody to say anything, so we, we sat there for an hour in silence, and as you would expect, a few folks, folks nodded off, and, and, I, and I told my daughter, I'm so proud of you. The rest of the college students there are back, back in their room sleeping in bed and, and, and you come to church where you can sleep in church. I'm, I'm just so proud of you. But they had this beautiful phrase that they used. At the, at the end of their worship, they had a time for prayer requests. And um, they would say um, each time with this phrase, hold in the light. A beautiful phrase. That, that sister's facing a challenge. Hold her in the light. That, that brother is grieving. Hold him in the light. The Lord God will be our light and we will reign with him forever. There's no reign of terror, but rather the reign of the kingdom of God, that kingdom that Jesus was always telling us about in parables and his teaching and he's actually acting it out in front of us, bringing that wholeness, that shalom, the mending of our world, it's a sacred task we are called to co-create with God, that ever-evolving work of redemption. At the end of uh, Figure on the Roof, uh, Tevye is having to leave. He's uh, all the pogroms and the anti-Semitism and the persecution. Uh, he already has his hat on. They wear their hat. It's their tradition. And so he, he's getting ready to leave, and he says, Maybe that's why we always wear our hats, so we can be ready to leave at a moment's notice. I think maybe that's why Revelation is at the end of our book, to make us ready, to always leave us just a little off balance, to be settling and unsettling at the same time, to make us reach out for the community of God's kingdom, even in unsettling times, to find something much bigger than ourselves, something holy that calls us to sing what they are singing in heaven, no matter the language and even in every language. Santos, Santos, Santos. And all the people said, Amen.